If you would, let's, let's pray together before we open God's Word together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for answered prayers. We thank you for the ways that we see you moving and, and comforting and encouraging. And we just want to be quick to give you the praise for those things. And we do thank you. We thank you for who you are and the way you love us. Uh, we thank you for your Word, uh, that it is, it is uh, eternal and that it teaches and it corrects us and it encourages us. And so as we open your Word, we pray... Uh, that your spirit would move in this place, that you would lead and you would guide and that you would show us, that you would teach us, you would correct us where we need correcting and encourage us where we need encouraging. I pray this morning that as we spend time in your word together that you'd be glorified and you'd be honored. pray that the words uh, from my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be in line with what you have for us, that it would be your spirit that leads and guides this time and that you would help us to see you more clearly and more fully as we spend time in your word together. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I, I went back and watched uh, a news story that I'd seen a couple months ago as I was thinking about uh, judges and being in this passage and what we're going to look at today. And, and the story was this. of, And I actually went back and watched it just yesterday because I was trying to refresh my memory. It had been a few months since I had seen it. And it was in Florida, a, a young man who's seven years old, seven uh, who stole his grandmother's car and decided to take it for a joyride with another seven-year-old, the two of them driving around uh, Florida. And they uh, wrecked into five different cars through the time, and, and they went through a, park, a Costco parking lot and sideswiped three cars and all this stuff and eventually crashed into a telephone pole and basically totaled the car. And so the story was on the news, and they were reporting on this. But then they interviewed the seven-year-old boy, and they asked him, you know, what, what was going on? What were you thinking? What were you doing? And he said, uh, we did it because it was fun, and it's fun to do bad things. And he said, that's why I did it. And they said, well, why, what caused you to do this? And he said, well, I was mad at my mom. And it was like he just was totally defiant. He was this, you know, really kind of, and you watch it and you just go, oh, what in the world? I have a seven-year-old. Asher's seven years old, and I think about him behind the wheel of a car. And, <laughs> whoa, that's, that's a scary thought. And, uh, but as I watched that, the good thing is when I first saw that, somebody had posted on Facebook. It's actually a friend who's a pastor. And he put it on there, and then he had this little comment underneath it. And he said, I um, can't remember exactly how he said it, but something to the effect of, so thankful for my dad in my life, that could have been me. And I read that and went, yeah, that's, that's the case. And what you saw on the video, and as you watched the video, it was only a couple of minutes long, but it was real clear the dad wasn't around. It was mom who wasn't around much and grandmom, and that was it. And, and so this kid, as you watched it, it's like on one hand, you just, oh, I can't believe that kid. But then you start to think about what led to that, how that happened, how that ended up where he's going out and unsupervised driving and, and those kind of things. And so uh, I was thinking about that because as we, we go back into Judges this week, we're going to be in Judges 2, and then we're going to look at a little part of uh, Chapter 8 as well. Um, And as we've been talking about judges, we've been talking about very foundational things that are all the way through this book. What we see is this cycle of sin, kind of a downward spiral. And what we see over and over is is people making excuses to not do what God's told them. They're disobedience. They forget God, and it runs into a downward spiral. Then eventually things get so bad they cry out to God. He raises up one of the judges. They lead them back. There's a time of revival, and then it starts all over again. And we see it over and over. And so what we talked about the last couple of weeks are, one, the excuses we make for our sin and when we ignore God. That's what we looked at the first week. Last week, we looked at how God uses the consequences when we just blatantly disregard him. But then he uses those consequences to help bring us back. And you see that over and over in Judges. 
But there's another foundational thing that I think we see over and over in Judges that leads to part of these problems. And it's what I want us to think about today. And it's this idea of the cycle continues to happen because of really poor discipleship, uh, poor leading. And as I, as I watch that little boy going and taking the car and doing those things and he's not having a strong male role model in his life to speak truth into his life. And then these things begin to happen. You see that all over. And we see that in Judges. We see that a lot today as well. It's a very relevant thing to think at, think about and to look at. And, you know, I don't know if, if you're like me. Sometimes I think of discipleship, this idea of helping one another, helping uh, younger believers, helping non-believers to see Jesus and bringing them along. A lot of times I think of that in terms of, of a New Testament idea. I don't know if you think of it that way or not. That's kind of the way I normally think of it. But as I was reading in Judges and as you're looking and even the passage we looked at in Deuteronomy this morning that I just read from, it's very much God's plan all the way through Scripture. It's not just a New Testament idea. And so what I want us to do is to think about that. You know, we keep talking about it. Uh, we talk a lot how we need encouragement and we need accountability together and we need relationships. I keep going back to why we see our missional community groups as being so important, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But this is such an important picture to see. And so when we open the book of Judges, what we see about discipleship, and when we start to look at it, it's not a pretty picture. In fact, there's not really any good examples of it being done well in Judges. It's mostly negative. And so that's what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this idea uh, of, of what was happening, why the cycle kept going over and over and downward spiral and getting worse and getting worse. And so the way I want us to look at it and just think about it, there's just two questions that I want us to ask. And the first is just this, what went wrong, right? What, what, what did they do that was not so good that helped lead to this uh, downward spiral, this thing, this cycle happening over and over? And then secondly, how do we fix it? What does the Bible tell us? How do we look to to stop that cycle and do it the way God's told us. And so what happened, what went wrong, and then how do we fix this? Pretty straightforward and pretty simple. And so we're going to start in Judges 2 this morning. Uh, we've been looking at Judges 1 and then the beginning of Judges 2 last week. We're kind of picking up right where we were. It can be a little confusing when you start in Judges because at the beginning it's talking about uh, Joshua dying and then he's back again in, in chapter 2. And so it's kind of a, a recap at the beginning and then the story really starts in chapter 2 and they come back. And so Joshua speaks to the people here, and he's told them, and it says, uh, verse 6, I'm going to start in verse 6 of Judges chapter 2. And when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And we've really talked about this, so we're kind of flashing back, we're going back a little bit. But then listen to what it says, kind of a summary statement here, starting in verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him. I'm going to skip to verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And so the whole of Joshua's generation has now passed on. And then look at what it says. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. And so when you read that, what I want you to start just thinking with, with me is, is there's a great... Uh, 
uh, difference between verse 7 and verse 10. Verse 7 says that as long as Joshua and the elders, his generation, were there and were leading, what we saw was that the people uh, followed the Lord, right? It says all the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and his generation and his elders with them. And then you get to verse 10 and it says, and then... There arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord of the work he had done for Israel. And so what you get is from one generation, you have this strong leadership with Joshua and the elders with them, and things were going great, and then they die off, and then suddenly it says no one knows the Lord. And they begin to go to other places and other things. And so from one generation to the next, things begin to fall apart pretty quickly. It says that no one knows the Lord. And so the question becomes, well, what happened from that one generation to the next? And I think part of the question or part of the the answer here to that question is that there was poor discipleship. There was great leadership for a season and a time. And Joshua was a godly man who sought the Lord, who followed him all of his days. And he was a wonderful leader in that respect. But then the next generation comes up and it says no one knew God. And they didn't know what he had done. And so there was a disconnect from one to the second. And so what I want to think about is the problem that's there. And there's a problem I see real clearly in this. It's a problem that I see today a lot within the church and within the Christian community. Uh, We see this picture, I think, a lot of times is is we end up having what I'm going to call a, a secondhand intimacy with God or a vicarious intimacy with God. And what I mean by that is is we live in a time uh, where there is such uh, readily available information in so many ways. We live in the most technologically advanced time in the history of the world. Uh, I can walk out of here today and take my phone out of my pocket, and I could listen to my brother Jeremiah's teaching in Houston from this morning, probably by about mid-afternoon if I wanted to, right? I can listen to uh, podcasts. I can look at blogs. I can listen to any teacher or preacher that I want, pretty much. Um, I can go and hear great things from all these different people. But what I see a lot of times is we end up doing that. We take these resources, which, by the way, are really good resources. There's nothing wrong with doing that. In a lot of ways, that helps. But what can begin to happen is we can begin to look at uh, what so-and-so said. right? Well, so-and-so says this. And so-and-so said, I really like this guy. He said this. And this guy said this. And so you go, well, I want to study the book of Judges. So I'm going to go listen to podcasts of whoever that taught Judges. And then they tell me what Judges say. And I go, okay, great, great. And then I move on to the next thing. And what happens oftentimes or what can happen is we can start to fall into a a false sense of intimacy with God. We begin to take what someone else said and we go, yeah, that's great. I'll just take that and that's good. And so what happens is we begin to take what other people said, great wisdom and great helpfulness, great things that they're saying, and it becomes uh, kind of a vicarious or secondhand relationship with God. You know, the, the, uh, I had a teacher once, I remember talking about, I, I love, uh, I still do, I, I like John Piper a lot. And I like the way he writes and the way he preaches. He's now retired. And, and I remember saying to one of my professors, I love the way he'll put in such a succinct, statement a great big huge truth and it'll be one statement and my professor in seminary said you know how many hours it took him to get to write that one succinct statement that he has poured over it and thought about it and meditated on it and if i take john piper's nice little succinct statement and go well there you go 
I'm living vicariously through his relationship with God and what he's seen. Now, it doesn't mean it's bad. I'll be real careful how I say that. God uses teachers. He gives teachers. He gives different gifts. He gives different people to help us in our walk, and that is a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a good thing to read uh, different people and listen to different people and have them help you in your walk, but it can become a very scary place if your whole walk is just listening to what someone else told you. Because what happens is then your relationship becomes a second-hand intimacy with God. Well, so-and-so told me this about God, and -and so-and-so told me this about God. And I I think that's a little bit what we see here in Judges chapter 2. Everybody's going along great, and all the people serve the Lord all the days of Joshua. And they listened to Joshua, and they heard him, and he's this wonderful leader. And then as soon as he dies and he's gone, no one follows anymore. It's easy to live vicariously through, man, listen to what Joshua saw. Listen to the God that Joshua knows. Right? And we can do the same thing today if we're not careful. And so there's a, a picture there that I want to warn us against. This is just, hey, I'll, I'll admit in my own life, it can be very easy to go, oh, like this guy and this guy and this guy, and I'll read what they said. And I'll re-. I've built into my own life and my own study when I'm working on Judges. I spend several days reading and studying and praying and thinking about those things before I look at what anybody else says. Because if I start with what somebody else says, then it colors everything that I look at. And I start to go, well, am I, am I seeing that because God's really showing me that or because so-and-so said it? And it's a very dangerous thing. And so we want to be careful that you're not always operating in a second-hand intimacy with God. I think that's what led to part of the downfall here in Judges. And so I just want to warn you of that. I want to remind you, though, and encourage you as well, that the Bible tells us very clearly that if you put your faith in Jesus, you now have firsthand access to God. God wants firsthand intimacy with you. You can come directly to God through Christ and come straight into the throne room because of what Jesus has done for you. This is such a wonderful thing. It is a huge blessing. We talk a lot about wanting to being a, a church out of the Reformation and those pillars of by faith alone, by grace alone, Christ alone. We're govern, governed as a body by word alone. Our authority together is God's word, not me. Not your elders. We're not answering to someone. It's, it's you're coming to God through Christ, guided by God's word. When we open this in the morning and we come together, we're, we're looking at God's word together. And that is our authority. Not me, but what God's word says. And I say this often and I'll say it again. I haven't said it in a little while here. If you're sitting here and you ever hear something that I say that you don't think is coming from here, I want to know it. We don't have anything else. If we start to go against what God's word says and we go off into other, we're in trouble. And so if there's something I say that's not clearly what God's word says or you don't think so, I want to know it. Our authority together is God's word. And so when we come to him, we come to him knowing through his word and the way he's revealed himself in his word. And that you now, uh, the Bible talks about you're a royal priesthood. You're a saint. When you put your faith in Christ, you are now a saint and you are now perfect in his sight and you can go directly through God. You don't have to go through any man. It's to Jesus, through Jesus, to God the Father, led by the Spirit. 
What a blessing. Do not settle for secondhand intimacy with God. You have a relationship. God wants to have a relationship with you. And so I just simply say, as we think about this and what's happening here, do you know him? Is your relationship built on what people are telling you about God or do you know God? Because the God of the Bible wants to know you personally through the way he's revealed himself in his word and through Christ. And so don't settle for having a relationship that someone else tells you about. Now, that said, it's very important that we have people helping us, guiding us, leading us in those things. And that's very biblical. And that's what you're seeing they're not doing here. I want to show you another example of this kind of falling apart. Flip over to Judges 8, just a couple of chapters later. This is the end of Gideon's life. And we're going to talk about Gideon probably in a couple of weeks. But this is just to look at kind of the end of what's going on with Gideon. And so Gideon's led the people through some great things. God chooses him. We'll get to that story. You can go read that if you haven't read it or you're not familiar with Gideon. But we will get to that in a couple of weeks. But listen to what happens at the end after he leads them back and God chooses Gideon to be one of the judges. And look at what he says in verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And so it starts really good, right? You're like, yes, amen. Way to go, Gideon. It is not about me. It is about God. I'm not going to be your king. God is our ruler. It's not about me. That's what Gideon says. I'm not going to rule over you, and neither is my son. We're not doing that. But then, look at what happens next. And then Gideon said, let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil. They had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that was requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. That's a lot. A lot of gold there. And so besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the king, kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of the camels, and Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city, Orpha. And all Israel whored after it there and became a snare to Gideon and to his family. And so what happens is they come to Gideon and they say, rule over us. And he says, no, 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 it's all God. It's not me. I'm not going to rule over you. But go ahead and give me your gold. And I'm going to set up a place of worship in my hometown. And I'm going to kind of make this where you come here and you look to me. And we're going to have this thing. And, we're gonna... and so basically he says with his words, no, it's all about God. But then all his actions go. But yeah, let's go ahead and look to me. And so what you see with Gideon is this. This picture of, of instead of pointing people directly to God and, and God had set up worship, he told them how he was to be worshipped. He sets up a rival way to worship instead of being you come directly to God through the way he had put aside, which at that time was through the temple and through the Levites as the priests and, and the way God had set it up. He kind of starts to compete with that and steps in and starts to make it more about himself. Right? And the picture there goes exactly against what God wants for us. Instead of coming through one man and it being all about him and what he's doing, it's to be a relationship with God through the way that he's revealed himself. And so it's a, uh, uh, we see this all the way through Scripture and we see it done very poorly in Judges. 
This happens over and over. And they come to God through different people and in different ways. And they're not really seeing this discipleship, this making disciples of Jesus. But come to me and give me this stuff and come to this place with Gideon. With Joshua, we see, and I don't want to be too hard on Joshua because it doesn't tell us too clearly. It says that the elders that were with him in that generation, they followed him. And so it seems like there maybe was some discipleship going on with Joshua to the next. It was just the next generation that fell apart. And so what we see is a problem of them not growing together and coming into this firsthand intimacy with God. And so that's what happened. Instead of equipping and building up and getting the next generation, it's a few that pop up here and there. And then as soon as they're gone, it dies out. Because people are experiencing living through a second-hand intimacy with God instead of a first-hand. And so then the question becomes, how do we fix it? What's the answer? And I'll be honest, you can read through Judges. And you can read these cycles over and there's not a good answer. Judges is a mess. And it happens over and over and people pop up and God uses them and he's gracious and he brings them back. But then as soon as they die, it happens again. Same thing. That's the cycle in Judges over and over. And we see it continually happen. And so the question is, well, what does the healthy look like? How would we do it? Uh, and so the examples pour in Joshua or in Judges. But if you go back a little bit, we do see that Joshua was a godly man who loved the Lord. And before him was Moses. And if you know anything about the Bible, Joshua is actually Moses' kind of right-hand man. He spent a lot of time with Moses. You see it all throughout uh, Scripture. When you read about Moses, and it says, And Joshua was there, his assistant, and he was following him around, and he was there with him. And so you see a, a healthy from Moses to Joshua, but then you don't see it later on. And so I want us to flip over to Deuteronomy 6. Just flip back a couple of books here to Deuteronomy 6. And let me just remind you what Deuteronomy is if you're not familiar with Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a series, really, of sermons, uh, exhortation to the people as they're about to go into the land right before Joshua takes over. Moses is about to die. He's brought them to the edge of the land. God says, oh, by the way, you're not going in now. Joshua's going to do this. And so Moses gives them this kind of word and this encouragement before they go in. And he tells them. He tells them all these things to remember and to do and what it should look like. And so we saw Moses who spent lots of time with Joshua, who walked with him, who saw him, who spent time with him. And then all of a sudden he tells us what this should look like. Now, they didn't do it and they didn't listen to it, but we have uh, the clear direction of what it should look like. And I think we got the answer of what it should be and what's the, the right way or how do we fix it. And so look at what Deuteronomy 6 says. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and all his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. And so stop right there for just a second. The first thing Moses says is make sure you know what God's word says. Make sure you know the word and the statutes and the commandments that God's given us. And so we know Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. That's all they had. But they had the first five books. And so he's telling them, this is what you're going to do and keep these things and remember them. And, and, And not only does he say teach them, but he says do them. 
Obey them. Live them out. Live them out with your kids and your kids' kids and do that together as you're going into the land. And he says, so know the word and then obey it. Jesus would say something very similar when he says, go make disciples. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Same thing. Same thing that Moses is saying here. Teach them. Don't just learn what it says, but do it. Obey it. But then look at what else he says. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I've commanded you today shall be on your heart. Do you hear what he's saying? Learn what God's word says. Obey it. And then you seek to have a firsthand intimacy with God. Let it be on your heart. Know what it says and apply it to your life and make God the center of everything you do. Love Him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And that's what He tells them to do. Don't just listen to what I tell you, but put it into practice and make it the center of your life and have it affect your heart. He says, don't just listen to the stories that Joshua's going to tell you. You put it into practice and you do it and you know God. And then look at how he says to do it because he gives us a very practical example on how to do it. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He says, know it, do it, let it affect your heart, and then you tell everybody else too. When you sit up and when you stand and when you go and when you lay down and when you get up, you continue to talk about who God is and what he's done. He says this beautiful picture of what it looks like to make disciples. You continually make this be the focal point of every area of your life. God is the center. And he puts it in terms of with your children. It's a wonderful example. It's a wonderful challenge to parents, grandparents. If you've got neighbors with little kids, friends that are believers, teach them. Tell them who God is and what he's done. When you leave church today and you get in the car, talk about who God is and what he's done. Hey, we prayed for Phil's daughter last week and God healed her. Talk about it. Tell your kids about it. This is who God is. This is what he does. He tells us to do that over and over. And over. And then you go to the New Testament and it tells us that we're now a family. Right? We we did baptism last week and we say, This is our brother and sister in Christ. We we say that. We we mean that literally. And so when it talks about talking to your family, yes, he's talking very literally about your children, but then we get to the New Testament and this is your family. So talk with your family about who God is. And what he's done. And when you sit up and when you go and when you rise and make him be the center of all things. That's why we talk so much about wanting you to be involved in different ways outside of Sunday morning. Whatever that looks like. 
Yes, we want you to be in our missional community groups where we gather together. We just started this week, and we're going to be doing this more and more, really every week for, for the foreseeable future anyway. There's application questions that go with what we talk about on Sunday morning. And you gather together and you talk about them. Have a meal together and talk about how are we going to do this? How do we make God the center? How do we help one another to follow Jesus in every area of our life? That is the picture in Scripture. It's the way God works and the way he tells us. And so we see this example in what Moses says. If you read through Scripture, you see it in the way Moses lived. He didn't just preach it at Joshua and then say, see you later. He took them everywhere with him. Everywhere you see, he came out of the tent of the meeting and there's Joshua. He's there walking with them and spending time with them. Now, we see it uh, throughout the Old Testament. We see it in different ways. But the wonderful thing is we're not in the period of Judges. We can look back on this and see the whole thing. We have the whole picture. I love what uh, Hebrews 1 tells us. It says God worked in different ways and in different times through prophets and different people in the way he used. I heard it said once, and I like the way it was said, was uh, he, he kind of worked piecemeal. Right? He spoke a little here, and a little there, and a little this, and a little that, and he's telling us different things. And then it says, and then Jesus came and he spoke to us in the fullness. We see Jesus, we see God. And so I want you to think about what Jesus' life looked like. Right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus walks onto the scene. His ministry begins. He's baptized. And the first thing he does is he walks over to these guys and he goes, Hey, you, you, and you, come with me. Come follow me. Come with me. And he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He says, follow me and I'm going to teach you how to do what I'm doing right now. And then I'm going to set you loose to go do it with other people. Because that's what he says at the end. Follow me and I'll take you fishers of men. What's the last thing he says? Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When we look at Jesus' life, what does it look like? First miracle. They're at a party. He takes these guys and says, come follow me. We're going to a party. And he's interacting with all sorts of different people at all times. And they're, where, they're with him, walking with him, doing that with him, walking along and seeing it. It's not meet me here, I'll preach to you, and then you can go and I'll see you next week. He says, come with me. And yes, Jesus preaches and he teaches and he teaches them how to pray and he prays with them and he spends time with them. But he does so much more than that. In the picture in Scripture is when we begin to seek to follow Christ again. That's what it looks like. That is the biblical model of how the gospel spreads. God gets a hold of your heart and he brings people into your life that help you move along. And then as you start to see it and you start to understand, then you go and get someone else and you help them. That's the way it works. That is the biblical model. When I say, I kind of say it almost half-jokingly, but I'm not joking. When people say, what's the philosophy of the church? It's the disciples who make disciples. That's it. Really, that's it. And the reason I say that is because that's what I see all the way through Scripture. We're to be helping one another, and then as you grow up in your faith, then you go help other people. I'll give you this one example. We'll end here. I was reading this uh, uh, pamphlet. 
Gail and I were talking about it this week. Gail, if you know, has been big in navigators, discipleship. And we were talking about this pamphlet that one of the very early guys in, in it wrote. And he talks about spending time and, and multiplying and duplicating yourself. And I sat down and I was looking at what he said and I was just thinking, if I spend at discipleship house, different guys I was adding, probably six or seven guys I spend a lot of time with right now, really spending time with. And he go, if I did that, let's say five a year for the next ten years, that'd be 50 guys that you spend a lot of time with, right? Working on how do we pray? What does it look like to spend time in God's word? How do we do this? How do we share our faith? How do we do those things? At the end of ten years, that's 50 guys. That's not bad. All right. Now, if each one of those goes and gets five guys each year, right? So the first year there's five and they go get five. And then the next year there's 25 and they get five. You know what happens after 10 years? Over 4 million. Well, I can spend time with 50 guys or we can do the way God's shown us to do it where you equip people and you send them out 4 million. I mean, there's a very practical thing to what God's doing. There's, there's all the spiritual parts of the way he's working, but there's also a very practical way in which he sees the gospel spread. And so I just want to encourage you with this as we're ending. Two things. One, in that we can do great things with the people who are sitting right here if we're faithful to what God tells us to do. If we go out and seek to make disciples who make disciples, guess what? It's going to spread. God's at work and he tells us to do that. But then secondly, I want to make sure that we see this clearly as we end. It's not about, I want to go and do this and put my work in so that I feel good about what I'm doing. It has to be, and there's a quote in your bulletin I love, you have to be a disciple to make a disciple. You have to have first-hand intimacy with God if you're going to help other people have first-hand intimacy with God. And so it begins with knowing Him learning who he is, seeing who he is, and then out of an overflow of your heart for who he is and the way he loves us, you go, I'm going to help other people to see this. And at the center of that always has to be him. Who he is and the way he loves us and what he's done. Not seeking to make disciples of me or any one person. I am seeking to point you to Jesus. That you would know and love him above all else. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, the book of Judges. I thank you for mistakes that we see. I thank you as we read your word and we see mistakes, we often see ourselves in that. But I thank you that all the way through, it's always pointing us to the greater hope that we have in you. That you have forgiven us. That we can have access to the God of the universe through what you've done for us, and we thank you for that. We pray that we would make that our lives work. I pray that we would live Deuteronomy 6, that we would seek to know you, to know you in our heart, to apply it in our lives, and then to seek others. I pray that we would be so quick to talk about you in all things and in all ways and make you the center of our being and helping others to do the same. We thank you for the ways that you love us, and we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.